Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one best-selling book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you are a highly sensitive person, I like to call you a sensitive soul, and you would like to get my free Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, you can just go to sensitivesoulguide.com. And it's uh, the three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power. So you can create those wonderful dreams that you have and heal yourself. And speaking of healing yourself, one of the things we really love to do in Light Warrior Radio is to find amazing people doing amazing work out there to help empower people to heal themselves naturally and support their body's own healing process. Sometimes that's light medicine, energy healing. Other times it's more biological, physiological, and practical. And today I'm super excited uh, because we have Dr. Emily Splickle here, and she is the founder of Naboso. And I, I think I've bought pretty much everything in that store. Um, and, um, and her book, which I recently actually discovered um, because there was like a sale, and I looked, I'm like, hey, there's a book, and I love these books. So her book is called Barefoot Strong unlock the secrets of movement longevity now I had already been introduced to the importance of alignment and especially fascial alignment uh, from my colleague and very very good friend DL Walker who dr. Emily is familiar with and um, so without that previous knowledge of knowing the importance of what DL calls the base um, I probably wouldn't have been all that interested but since being introduced to Naboso from D.L. Walker, and you know now this book, everything is kind of just, you know, um, falling into place. And so I'm excited to share with our light warriors and our listeners and our audience um, how you can empower yourself with some very very simple things that you can do. It doesn't take a lot of time uh, that you can support your body in realigning and healing itself and getting stronger. Because there's, and we'll make some examples, uh, talk about some examples later of of you know problems that people can have and uh, what you can do. So let me tell you a little bit about my amazing guest. So Dr. Emily is a functional podiatrist and human movement specialist, and she is the founder of the EBFA Global, creator of the Barefoot Training Specialist Certification, author of Barefoot Strong, and CEO founder of Naboso Technology. With over 22 years in the fitness industry, Dr. Emily has dedicated her medical career towards studying postural alignment and movement uh, as it relates to barefoot science, foot to core integration, and sensory integration. And you can check out Naboso at uh, naboso.com. And uh, we'll be sharing a little bit uh, more of the links as well. Uh, you can also go to her website, of course, at dremilysplickle.com, which is spelled D-R-E-M-I-L-Y-S-P-L-I-C-H-A-L.com. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Emily. Thank you. It is such a pleasure, and I love the work that you're doing. So I'm excited to share a little bit of how people can empower their foot health and their movement with you. Oh, yes. We are so pleased to have you here. So thank you for agreeing to, to be on our podcast. Uh, first, let's start off with your journey. Um, you know, when did you get interested in becoming a podiatrist and specifically uh, one that is a functional podiatrist? And first of all, maybe, you know, we can also define what that is in the meantime and uh, how you got to um, creating 
you know, the, the book, writing the book, and the company. I know that's a lot, so take your time and give us the, you know, the history of how all this happened. Absolutely. So I will start by explaining what a functional podiatrist is. is think of like a functional medicine doctor that is taking in and factoring in the entire individual, integratively, holistically, mind, body, spirit, the whole thing. I take that same perspective as a podiatrist. Obviously a podiatrist is a foot specialist, but really what I think of is that I'm treating movement and movement is such an important part of quality of life. To me, I, I say that it is actually life. If we can't move, it's very hard to stay, um, you know, at our peak performance. Uh, quality of life goes down. Your cognition goes down. Your emotional happiness goes down. So mm -hmm. it is my goal through podiatry and all my different companies and products and books is to help people keep moving good throughout their entire journey so that that maintains that happiness and that quality of life. So the way that I do that functionally is by looking at the entire individual. I factor in sleep patterns, diet, stress levels, repetitive patterns, um, functional can also mean functional movements. So I do gait assessments on every single patient and I take a deep look at the sensory side of foot function and human movement versus being very biomechanical. And heavy biomechanical models is, to me, very Western medicine. So mm. if anyone has seen a podiatrist in the past, they probably have experienced a traditional podiatrist that looks at feet mechanical, meaning you have flat feet or you have fallen arches, and they say, okay, mechanically, I need to put you in an orthotic or mechanically you need a supportive structured shoe and that's kind of what they offer them. Or mechanically right. they say I need to do surgery to realign bones mechanically, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is part of it. Mechanics is part of how we move. But what I've learned through my journey, I'm totally doing a backwards exploration. That's okay. But the, through my journey is that the sensory aspect of the foot and the human body and movement is actually much more influential and is the aspect where most research is actually expanding. So taking the concept of like neuroplasticity and everything that we think about, you know, post-TBI or brain injury or having a movement disorder or post-stroke and the research and the powerful changes that you can see in these individuals is based off of influencing the nervous system and advances in research from a neurological perspective. Mechanics is mechanics. Is mechanics. It's, it's not going to change, right? A lever arm is a lever arm. Um, but the fascination of the complexity of the nervous system and then add on layers of emotion and consciousness breath work, mind body, intuition, visceral connections, all of that affects the way that people move, feel, relate to pain, contract their muscles, um, and that's really the aspect of what I factor into my practice, um, which is um, exciting. Every single patient, I'm able to bring a new curiosity to them and to what, what differentiates this unique 
individual or human being who has their own emotional history and their own movement history versus just saying one plantar fasciitis is another plantar fasciitis is another plantar fasciitis. That's, that's very mechanical. Um, so how I got into this is my background actually began in, in movement fitness where I, I was a gymnast for 13 years, so I was always moving and body weight and barefoot. And then my mm-hmm. undergrad, I got into forensics, which is, has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. But my bachelor's was forensic science. I was in New York City doing an internship at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. I was going to go down this career path of you know, CSI and that whole thing. That's so interesting. This, this is actually before CSI. So I was actually given this path as a female that there was, I was given awards and scholarships and saying, you're a female pursuing a path that very few women take. So they were like, here, go, we will support you. And then I started realizing as I was going down that path that there's a darkness to it. Obviously, you're dealing with death. (laughs) And I was like, I like to move, right? Like, I want happy things, butterflies, (laughs) rainbows. So I actually left the forensic internship that I was in, quit, and walked into a gym in New York City and said, I think I want to be a personal trainer. And then that actually took off what my career is today. It was a pivotal piece of it. Um, So kind of long story short in that is I was in fitness, started teaching classes, kept getting injured, partly because I was a gymnast for 13 years, so my body just couldn't take that load anymore of teaching Mm. class after class after class. So I realized that the longevity of my passion for movement, really fitness was exemplifying movement, uh, I needed a career and an advanced degree that would allow me to use my passion but in a way with longevity Mm. Um, that wasn't reliant on my body as the tool for making money, right, is teaching. Right, right. So that's where I started exploring different medical specialties from osteopathic school, chiropractic, physical therapy, you name it. There happened to be a podiatry school in New York City. It's actually in Harlem, for anyone who's Mm. in New York, right? The New York College of Podiatric Medicine. And they, part part of my decision to go to podiatry school was I still wanted to be able to be in fitness. So have clients teach classes because it was just resonating with my soul. It just made me happy. Mm. And I was like, I just, I need to be able to do this. Um, So then I started podiatry school and started to realize how isolated it was. And the foot is over there. The foot is not part of a body or a human being. And it just, (laughs) I know it sounds crazy, but I was just like, it's, this isn't sitting well with me. I don't think that this is actually, um, this is not the way that it works, right? And I think that's because of my background in movement and then I was right. in classes and training clients. So I knew that there was this obviously connection between the foot and the body. But I started to apply things that I was learning through podiatry school with my clients and in my fitness background but then started questioning things and was like, okay, I guess, like I'll answer these questions to pass the test, but I just don't think this is the full picture. Then I started residency and it was like 
full force isolation of the foot. It was also very surgical because podiatry mm. in the U.S., you have to do three years of surgical residency training. So I had no choice. I, I had to be trained to be a surgeon. Wow. Yeah. Three uh, years. Oh, my goodness. Three, in addition three. to medical school. Yeah. And oh, I think that a lot of people don't realize that that is the structure of podiatry is every podiatrist nowadays, obviously older ones, the profession has changed, but nowadays has to do three to four years of a surgical residency and has to pass certain surgical skills to get licensed. So I had to, you know, kind of play that game. But it was so isolated that mm. I was like, I don't, I don't think that I can wake up every morning and do this. So I left. Technically, I quit. So now it sounds like I quit two things, but <laughs> I, I, I pick things up again. Uh, but I, I left and I went back to school to get a master's in human movement. And this just lit my soul on fire because mm. I was able to connect my fitness background, which that's my passion for movement and my in the trenches movement background, and then with my medical degree focused on feet, and then there was this connection between the two, which is my master's in human movement. Mm. And at the exact same time as this, this is total like destiny, I think, mm -hmm. um, is this is when the barefoot running boom happened. Mm. The minimal shoes, Nike Free, the Vibram Five Fingers, um, mm -hmm. that whole space of barefoot running, minimal shoes, so all of this. And at the same time, by now I've been in the fitness industry for 10 years. I started um, teaching, like lecturing at conferences, which was another mm -hmm. part of uh, what I wanted, kind of like a little kid seeing something. I would go to conferences and see someone presenting, and I was like, I want to do that one day. I don't know mm. why, <laughs> but I was just like, I want to be on the stage teaching. Right, people. why not? Yeah. So I started teaching um, and lecturing at conferences. All of this is happening at the same time. And what I started seeing is that because of this barefoot running boom and minimal shoe, people within the fitness industry were starting to talk about it and do sessions on it and lecture and create workouts. And, and I was like, you know what? If anyone in the fitness industry were to be qualified to talk about shoes or feet, it should be me because I'm the podiatrist, right? Right. So I was like, I'm the fitness professional and the podiatrist. There literally mm. no other one in the world. So I was mm. like, I need to be doing this, right? Mm -hmm. So I started to then position myself and do lectures and create courses. That was where I founded EBFA Global. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, I, I went back to residency. I played the game and I learned to do surgery and I got licensed and I... Well, good for you. You mean you went back to do those three years of surgery? I did, yes. To, so I was, to be credentialed so you would have that credibility. Yes, because I Good needed for you. and I did surgery for five years in New York City right out of residency wow. and did not like it, but I, it pays really well. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it could fund your dreams, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Mm. Um, so after five years of doing that, I eventually left surgery 
And I mm -hmm. often say on my website and kind of my bio, I say that um, in 2017, I put down the scalpel for the last time, mm. which that's, that's huge. That's to be huge. trained in a skill and then to leave it. Yep. Right? Like that was the hardest thing for me to do because I had like one step on either side of these professions or specialties within the profession. And I knew as soon as I put that blade down, I could not go back. Like I, mm. I, I can't. I, surgery, you have to keep your hands wet. Oh, I see. Can, right? Right. And as soon as I leave and the more time between my last surgery and then me going back to it, my, I would lose that skill. Um, so I put it down and then was like, okay, I'm going to start this Center for Functional and Regenerative Podiatry. And that's, that's what I now my practice is called, and I focus on all these other specialties within it, um, have carved this niche of barefoot science, barefoot um, sensory. So now barefoot has evolved from just barefoot to be all sensory exploration in the body. So I do a lot with visual, vestibular, fascial, proprioceptive. Obviously, that launched into Naboso, which is a sensory product line. Um, consulting, I write courses, um, have several book offers, I don't have time to write them right now, but based around <laughs> simulation, and it's just, it's been my evolution of how I look at human movement, my curiosity, um, I've, I've also been a patient, and I think that that's very important, mm. and I understand what it feels like to be listened to or not be listened to as a patient. And the respect of, of, you know, something like a surgery, right? And I, I kind of mm -hmm. fell into this, and I see how Western medicine doctors fall into, like, ah, it's a very easy surgery. It's quick. It's no big deal. Like, this surgery. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would feel that, like, I would say that because I'd be so comfortable being in the OR, and I was like, hey, this might be my, like, thousand, thousandth time doing it. Right. But this is that patient's first time ever in an OR, and I have to respect right. that, right? right. So, um, yeah, I try to then put myself in the patient's perspective. Right now, my practice is very much based around chronic conditions, chronic patients, and most mm -hmm. chronic pati patients with chronic conditions, right? Um, mm -hmm. Pain, chronic movement disorders, all of that stuff. They just want to be heard. And I make sure that I just like really listen. Like you're being mm. heard. Right? We love doctors like you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And then offer them um, a myriad of options. Some of them do include surgery, but I explain all the options. And I explain if I do say I really do think you should do this surgery, I explain why. And then mm. I say on the other side, I will be here for you to teach mm. how to get that function back into your feet. But regardless of what you do, I need you to understand your condition. Mm -hmm. I need you to take ownership of that diagnosis. And mm -hmm. you have to be an active participant in the recovery or the correction of a movement imbalance because mm. we are manipulating the nervous system and that takes a long time that takes consistency that mm. takes patience um so yeah so that's 
that's a very long story of where I am and why I got here. Oh, well, I, I love every minute of it. And, and definitely, uh, you know, those that go through medical school and residency, it is a long journey. And for you to know that that's long-term, not what you really wanted to do with, with surgery, but actually, like you said, playing the game so you have that credibility so people would listen to you, <laughs> you know how people are, uh, later on um, and, 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 you know, theoretically go, well, she's a med school dropout, so we're, well, we're not going to listen to her, right? But you did all that and you had that experience doing surgery and that whole, that, that whole uh, experience of the both ends of the, the fitness industry, your own personal journey of, uh, you know, helping and healing yourself and then the, the medical side and you can see both sides very clearly. So now you've integrated all of that and that just, you know, benefits the rest of us. Um, and so I definitely salute you for that, that time and that energy and money that you spent, you know, going through all that um, and especially uh, being willing to complete your residency. I mean, that's, that's big. It, it is, Having gone through residency, although I had the shortest one, as family medicine, um, it's no joke, guys. It really isn't. <laughs> so, so thank you, Dr. Emily, for doing that. You're welcome. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, uh, the sensory aspect of the foot. Now, you talked earlier about, you know, how in podiatry it's kind of mechanical, and I think a lot of orthopedics is kind of mechanical, right? We're not talking about the other types of things. Um, and in your book is very strong, talking about the sensory aspect of the foot and about that whole integration of that foot is not in isolation. It is communicating and connecting to and integrating with the nervous system, the fascial system, not just the, you know, the bones and the muscles and the ligaments and the tendons. And, it, you know, and uh, that, that up the chain, if you will, um, there's all these connections. And so the book is really strong in, in uh, explaining in layman's terms how these connections work and also giving us exercises to optimize that communication. So tell us about this whole sensory aspect. Yeah, so the sensory aspect of the foot starts with the skin in the bottom of the foot, which is, it's called glabrous skin. And glabrous skin is different than hairy skin. Hairy skin is what would be like on your arms and your legs. And the nerves that you find in the palm of the hand and the bottom of the feet or this glabrous skin are touch nerves. So we're talking about the sensation of touch and really the power of touch, right? So you are touching an object with your hand or your feet are touching the ground every step that you're taking. The nerves that are found here, the touch nerves are mechanoceptors. And mechanoceptors are different than proprioceptors. So I'm sure that the listeners have maybe heard proprioception or, uh, oh, I sprained my ankle, so my physical therapist is doing proprioceptive training. It's kind of where people think of proprioception. They'll think ankle stability, joint, things like that. Mechanoception or touch is based around three main stimulations, so three main stimuli trigger these nerves, and one of them is texture, but it's really not texture. Uh, I'm just kind of quoting texture. Mm -hmm. Texture is actually two-point discrimination. Mm. Now, the best analogy or where we actually see two-point discrimination would be Braille. So the next time you go to an ATM, just look at the Braille dots on the ATM machine, 
and you'll see the patterns of the Braille dots. When your finger is reading Braille, you are sensing or differentiating the points. So this is called two-point discrimination. Now, the distance between the Braille dots and the size of the dot itself is a very specific based off of the sensitivity of that nerve that you're stimulating. Mm-hmm. Naboso, which is a textured product line, anyone who has seen our products or used them or go to naboso.com, you'll see these tiny little pyramids on all of our products, the inside of the sock, the top of the insole, the top of the mat, on the release ball. And the purpose of those little pyramids is to create two-point discrimination. So the height, shape, and distance of these pyramids is very specific to the nerve, which is the Braille nerve, right? And you can see that that sensitivity is very important. Mm -hmm. The other ones are skin stretch, which um, this is typically used when, um, like let's say I put tape on the bottom of the foot, the tape would be pulling the skin in a way that stimulates tiny little nerves between the skin and the the attachment underneath the skin. Um, So there are these vertical fibers that are stretched. That's part of your fascial web. And then the third is vibration. And where we experience vibration every single day is when we walk, and our foot strikes the ground, impact forces or ground reaction forces are perceived as vibration. Sound is also vibration. So it's another important vibration that we experience every day. Mm -hmm. But the vibration of our foot to the ground is super important because it helps us to understand how hard we're striking the ground. It triggers a loading response to impact forces. It's actually how we build bone. So vibration stimulates bone density, so the osteoblasts stimulate bone. Uh, It's how our cells communicate to each other, which is very important, vibration. Uh, So that's where sensory foot, skin on the bottom, palm of the hand, you want to be thinking texture, which is two-point discrimination, skin stretch, and then vibration. If you can bring in that stimuli to the foot in a very specific way, you are able to then stimulate the brain with a pattern that it recognizes and then create a response. So the more that people feel their feet, the better their movement. Movement accuracy, right? We all want to move well, and to move well, you have to move accurately, right? Which means your foot is being placed properly on the ground. It's not too far on the outside of the foot because then you sprain your ankle, right, or you would fall down. So accuracy of movement is very important. Efficiency of movement is also very important, right, that we want to use the energy that is coming into the body intelligently. We don't want to waste energy. We don't want to work harder than we need to because then you don't have enough energy to supply your brain and then build new brain cells, right, or synapses, right, and to process cognitive information. So all of this from how we stand to how we move to preventing injuries to performing, you know, think of an athlete or a dancer, requires the ability to feel your feet, to feel your feet accurately, to feel your feet quickly, and then know what to do with that information that you are receiving. 
and that's what a lot of my work with patients is built around is that aspect of the sensory foot. Oh, yeah, that's great. And you explained it so well in your book, Barefoot Strong, for the layperson as well. Like some of the examples you gave, which really made me remember some of the things like thinking, for example, it's a dark stairwell, whatever, thinking that I had one more step to go. My body already prior has prepared to go down one more step, right? I step down, there's no more step. And boom, you know, it it, it sends shockwaves through my entire body because I had misstepped. And it doesn't feel good. So can you tell more about like what happens in those scenarios? Yeah, so this is based off of a concept that's called the muscle tuning theory, um, which is a very powerful theory that changed the way that I practice podiatry. It's part of my functional podiatry. This was not taught in podiatry school, but I'm not surprised. Uh, and it's based around the anticipation of movement. So to, to move well, the nervous system is actually anticipating that movement before we even do it, which seems like really fascinating. Like how anticipated is. is the nervous system that it is able to stabilize and anticipate a movement before I even do it? And I'll give an example that has, that's not related to the foot, but people might understand it in, in kind of their everyday. So in our abs, right? There's different muscles that are stabilizers to our lower back, to our spine, uh, and to our pelvis. And these muscles are like the foot, like the foot stabilizers, that they're very anticipatory. And what happens is your transverse abdominals, which are your lower abs, and then your multifidi, which are kind of these stabilizers of your lumbar spine, they actually contract before you move your arm. So let's say I'm going to, I'm in my kitchen and I'm going to grab something heavy off the shelf. So I have to stabilize my system to lift something over my head that is heavy, right? If I don't, I could hurt my shoulder, I could load my lower back, I could herniate a disc, all these issues. So as I'm reaching, before I even move my arm, your TVA and your multifidi activate and it's called a pre-activation response. It's an anticipatory response of these stabilizers before a larger movement, which means before my arm even moves, these stabilizers have engaged. Now what they see is people with chronic low back pain and things like that, that there is a delayed activation of these muscles, which mm. means the person moves their arm to grab something and those core back stabilizers haven't engaged yet. So there's a miscoordination in that pattern, okay? That same thing happens in your foot is that the foot is stabilizing before your foot even strikes the ground, which to me is so fascinating. Like mm -hmm. how, how does my foot know to what degree to stabilize before my foot hits the ground, right? And it's based off of prior information, which means that after just several steps, so the first couple steps, your nervous system is learning, right? After just a couple steps, your nervous system has already figured out the surface you're, working, you're walking on, the degree of impact coming in, the shoes, how hard you're striking, the pace you're walking at. So everything to then anticipatorily stabilize before your foot hits the ground. And that's where I try to get my patients 
people who get injured or people with plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis or stress fractures typically are not stabilizing fast enough and have not optimized this anticipatory response within the foot and ankle muscles. Ooh, oh, that makes so much sense. Um, and I, I'm I'm just thinking out loud to myself and you that you know I'm a I'm a, an adult figure skater and uh, never learned skating until I was about 29 years old. So these were pretty new movements and they were for most adults very difficult. But having been a dancer and quite tenacious, um, <laughs> I just persisted until I figured it out and got it and. Um, it's very fascinating, the, the so-called muscle memory, which I think it's not just muscles, right? Like this whole memory that's occurring when I'm learning a new jump or learning a new spin or whatever it is uh, that this anticipation uh, is really, really important. And in fact, um, when it doesn't work, ooh, that does not feel good. Yes. Um, first, I think that's awesome that you're a figure skater. I'm totally, it's been my dream to do figure skating. So. No way, too funny. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm going to sign up. You've inspired me, Dr. <laughs> Yay, woo! <laughs> um, but yes, so this, when we are learning a skill, um, so yours is, you know, a figure skating skill, right? You're very conscious initially. In oh, it. yeah. Um, let's say with the listeners, if it could be, I don't know if any of the listeners do kettlebells or certain... I do. <laughs> so kettlebells is a really good example of a... Uh, it's a high-skill strength move, right? Because there's mm -hmm. coordination of the bell, there's momentum, there's timing of how your hand and your wrist are going to move with mm -hmm. the bell, right, is an example. Um, I, I do aerials. So you do figure skating, I do aerials. So I, do I love that too. <laughs> And, and straps and, and things like that. So whatever it is, when you initially learn a skill, you are very cognitive. You're very mental, right? right? A lot of people who write on this will actually talk about when you're learning to drive a car is probably an analogy that most people can connect to, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to like look in the mirrors and I have to look here. And then I like, there's so many things going on when you're learning to drive a car and you're very mental about it when you're learning the new uh, jump or spin mm -hmm. you're very conscious of it think this think this where's my hip where's my core where's my am I rotated enough blah 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 yes yes and what happens is when we are very conscious or mentally involved in a skill we are actually slower and less accurate in our movements Mm. It's important because this is what I try to work with my injured patients and let's say an athlete that's trying to go back mm -hmm. is if you cannot get that skill into your sub subconscious, you are always at a risk for getting injured. Mm. So you need to be training the nervous system and part of training the nervous system is through consciousness, right? right. So I'm going to have someone focus on an aspect of their movement pattern when they're walking, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I can only pick one. I can't have you doing mm -hmm. like swinging your arms and your heels strike and engage your core and exhale at this time and it's too much. The nervous system can't do that. So we need to compartmentalize and segment aspects of a larger movement, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and try to drive the stabilization pattern behind that or the movement pattern behind that 
to be subconscious so that you can just fluidly move through something. But what I encourage the listeners to think about is being very conscious in a movement, whatever the movement is, inherently increases your injury risk or your fall risk. And I'll talk about falls real quick with that. So with someone who has had a stroke, has neuropathy, um, whatever it is that's slowing them down. So most people who are a fall risk or have a history of falls walk slower. They're more timid. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. apprehensive. They actually have a lack of movement confidence. And I'm a huge believer in the uh, subjective nature of how we move. So if I don't feel confident with every step I take because I can't feel the ground because I have neuropathy, I'm going to walk slower. But when I walk slower, I become more conscious and then my reaction time slows down and I actually increase my fall risk by walking slower and more conscious. So we need to get those people, as an example, this neuropathic individual, to be able to stabilize subconsciously and faster so they feel more confident. And that's, that's part of what we do with the Naboso insoles in our socks is to drive that through sensory stimulation into the subconscious so they don't have to think about the way they're placed. Ah. And that, that's really this sensory aspect of movement and why I shapes the career I have is based off of the power of sensory and the power of driving sensory stabilization into the subconscious so that we can move without actually thinking about it. Mm, that makes so much sense. And that also makes a lot of sense with, you know, some of my uh, various different skating coaches over the years. Uh, traditionally, when, you know, we, we learn a new, say, jump or spin or something like that, sometimes the coach will say, oh, yeah, your hip is out or, oh, oh, you need to put your arms here and, oh, you need, you know, and it was like so overwhelming, like all the different instructions. I couldn't think of all of them at once, you know. And uh, one of my uh, coaches that that is a specialist in teaching adult skaters, because um, generally speaking, we're slower than children at learning and we have a lot of bad habits and misalignments already as an adult, and especially in our 40s and 50s, 60s, etc. She will say, okay, we're going to slow it down right now. I just want you to work on this one movement, you know? And I'm like, just that one thing, it's pretty easy. She goes, no, that's what I want you to do, right? And then then we'll just kind of add on to that. And now I realize that works, like that's successful. So it's in my subconscious, it's kind of in there. And then, of course, I love the Noboso. So (laughs) when we're doing off ice, I will have the Noboso there. And And I feel that it keeps me safer, uh, when we are practicing jumps off ice or whatever it is before, and I know you talk about this in the book, before, I thought that to protect our joints, um, that I should have shoes that are really, really cushy, you know, like Kuru shoes, and they're really cushy, and, you know, uh, that, that when I land, you know, I'll, I'll have this cushion, and what I've discovered, which is what you talk about in the book, is that actually that may not be serving us. So now my belief systems are completely changed because I'm like, okay, I'm really into barefoot shoes now, like zero shoes, for example. I put the Naboso in them. I can feel, you know, the, the ground better and my joints can then know 
uh, and not just joints, but my, but the whole system can know how much you know that anticipation, what that should be. Um, and so when I was in the airport recently, I was telling people that um, that I had to run back to TSA to get my laptop that I had left there at the at the checkpoint, and I was at the gate, and so I literally broke into a run, and I had my nebosa, I had my zero shot, I broke into a run, and I thought this feels great. Dr. Emily, I used to hate running, okay, hate running, <laughs> and now I'm like, I really like running, right, and because of all the shifts and changes, so, yeah, so it's so cool what you're telling us and what you're sharing with us. I love that, I love that. If I could just add one little thing of the, the, the figure skating that you're doing and then for the listeners of how they could also use this, because it's really important mm -hmm. for me to have takeaways, tangible takeaways that the listeners can Please use. do practice is to oftentimes see how we're moving. So when I do a gait assessment, I actually show every patient their movement patterns. I, I mm -hmm. film it and then I show it and I have them see it because a lot of us don't have an accurate perception of how we're standing, how we're moving. Right. Right? So you could say, hey, you're, you're not swinging your arms and somebody would be like, really? Right, <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> If I show them, okay, this is you walking without swinging their arms, then they can say, oh, okay, now I feel what it feels like to walk without moving my arms or moving my torso or, oh, I'm standing like that. That's not a neutral foot. Okay, then I move them into neutral. Mm. And I think that's what I need you to feel is neutral. So I'm resetting their perception and sensation of their body, right, and as someone who has taught fitness before, I would also film people and say, hey, I'm going to film you doing that kettlebell swing, and if you think yep. you're moving the way that I'm moving, you're actually not, and I'm going to show you. So I film it, and I show them, and then allow them to then correct on their own understanding of the, of the connection of their body. So the, any of the listeners can just like start filming yourself and then watch the movements and say, oh, goodness, <laughs> that's how I'm actually moving, right? Or that's how I'm yes. standing. Like just take a, take a picture of yourself standing straight, and if you're like, oh, my goodness, that's my posture. My head is, like, jutted forward that far. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, I did not know that. I try to do those little self-awareness checks, especially when I drive. It's just like, oh, man, get your chin back. Don't have the text neck forward. Yeah, text neck. Oh. That was awful. I'm just a big posture person anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it could be something fun for the listeners to build that, that awareness of their posture and their movement through video and then to see how, that might, how they might actually be moving or standing. Oh, that's so good. And, and that actually reminds me of the other thing that uh, one of my skating coaches, uh, she has system of skating SOS technique, and like I said, specialists in adults, is that that's our home play. Our home play is to take our video of what we do on the ice, and then she will go and give us feedback. And what's really cool is that we give each other, like, we, like I feel myself and I go, oh, yeah, I thought I was doing such and such, but I can see that my core isn't twisted or I'm not over my axis or whatever. And even though most of us adults kind of cringe at the idea of like filming ourselves skating, <laughs> um, it has been incredibly uh, helpful. And um, I know they have some like some apps on iPads, I haven't used them, where the coach will actually like draw on top of the film and they'll actually stop it and they'll actually show 
you know, yeah. okay, see where your axis is, da, da. and then the other thing Mimi does, my one of my coaches that I'm talking about, she will actually, uh, when we're doing off-ice, she will repeat the mistake with her body and then show the correction yeah. on her body. So we can see visually, oh, that's right, I'm doing this. And, and, then she'll do the, and then she'll have everybody do the mistake on purpose and then do the correction so we can feel the difference. So, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned this. That's great. That's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about the fascia? Because I'm a big fascia fan. <laughs> and uh, just because I just find it so fascinating. We learned literally nothing, in, for me, in medical school about fascia. Fascia was just something that was in the way for surgery. Cut it away. You know, um, and now I'm realizing, oh my gosh, the fascia is so well innervated. Um, and some people think, oh, I have a muscle problem or a joint problem, and sometimes it's literally the fascia is knotted and like tacked down all the way down to the bone because of our postural issues, injuries, things like that. So, can you speak a little bit about you know this whole fascial connection? Yes. I love fascia as well, and I'm sure that to some degree the, the listeners may be familiar, but I'll just very quickly kind of go in that our fascia is the connective tissue web that is really connecting every aspect of the human body to another aspect of it. Um, so it'll join muscles, it'll connect bones and joints, ligaments. Um, it's what is making up our joint capsules, our ligaments, our retinaculum, the muscle tendon. It actually wraps around the muscle group itself and then every fiber of the muscle. And then it'll wrap around the bone, as you had kind of referenced a little bit, and that's actually called the periosteum. So it's kind of the saran wrap around bones. And the way that I look at fascia is in a couple ways. One, and the first one, which has to do with sensory, is that there's over 100 million sensory nerves in our myofascial web. Mm. Which I think is so fascinating. And I will look at our fascial web as an extension of our brain. And it is sensory seeking. It's part of how we maintain posture is our ability to not collapse against gravity is because of the fascial system. It's really not the muscular system. It's not the bones. The bones aren't just stacked passively like Jenga blocks. It is the tension, the myofascial tension of this fascial web that allows us to resist gravity. And a proper uh, or well-connected fascial system in an individual is one that has a baseline tension to it. So tone is what, how people would describe muscles, so postural tone. But there's a baseline tension in our myofascial system. And your myofascial system under tension has an anti-gravity effect to it, which means that it gives you a lift and it creates space. So proper myofascial tension around a joint actually creates space. It's actually not compressing. Sometimes mm. people would think that tension is compressing to a joint, right. but tension is actually space creating around a joint. Um, there's a lift against gravity. So when I teach someone to tap into their myofascial tension system, the postural tension system, they actually feel less pressure on their feet, in their joints, on the lower back, and they're kind of engaged with gravity versus uh, succumbing to gravity. You could say being passive in gravity. Mm. Important. 
Um, again, there's the sensory component to it, which means it's triggered by movement or it's triggered by shifts in our center of gravity, which makes it postural. Um, it has a deep connection to how we stabilize dynamically. So there is a integrated tension response. Your feet are actually connected to your pelvic floor and your diaphragm through these fascial connections. So that fascial connection between feet, core, diaphragm is what allows us to release energy efficiently when we walk, run, jump, when we move. If you were not fascially connected between your stabilizers, in this case your feet, core, and diaphragm, mm -hmm. you would not be able to load and unload impact forces efficiently. You would get injured. Um, and that's typically the injuries that I see, like plantar fasciitis, shin splints, IT band, runners, knee, all those things. It's just a delayed integrated stabilization between the fascial system. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I speak about myofascial health, a lot of people will think about myofascial health as like foam rolling. Um, the fascia blaster <laughs> did a very good job of getting fascia to be a common word to write. Um, and, you know, you could go into, okay, how does a fascia blaster help, you know, cellulite is really why I think she made so much money around it. Um, but fascia is, it needs to be hydrated. So part of myofascial release, SMR, foam rolling, fascia blaster, uh, Graston, all these body work tools, right, that you're kind of scraping and stimulating the fascial system is to bring hydration and part of hydration is also kind of releasing some of the stickiness that you had referenced, Dr. Karen, as far as it can get adhered down, right? Um, that's important. But the other part of fascia that we have to train and remember is that the tension that I said. So you have to be able to harness the skill of tensegrity, tensioning. And the way that we create tension and stiffness in the body is through isometric contractions. So if I were to ask the listeners to engage your core or put tension in your abs, depending on your level of body awareness and training, some people will say, oh, I suck my belly button to the spine. That's technically not how you do it. You lift the pelvic floor or you create just a little bit of tension, almost like, oh, I'm going to like punch you in the stomach and you're going to like brace against me or protect against me about to punch you, right? You're essentially mm -hmm. doing an isometric contraction, which is tensioning your myofascial system. So that's a skill that I teach people. It's part of how we stabilize. And then the third component is your myofascial web is a rubber band. So you have to train it to be able to load and unload quickly, like a rubber band, right? And the inability to load and unload like a rubber band can lead to injury as well. Sometimes I'll tell patients that their plantar fascia, maybe their Achilles tendon, their post-tib tendon is kind of like a dried out rubber band. And I'm, I always say, I'm saying this the nicest way. I'm not calling you a dried out rubber band. But <laughs> you know, I totally get it. Right? I'm like, with kindness, I'm saying this to you, um, that your plantar fascia, which is part of your elastic energy return when we walk and when we run, especially when we run, is you essentially stretch and recoil your plantar fascia on the bottom of your arch. 
Now, picture a dried out rubber band, right? It's kind of fraying, it's mm-hmm. fragile, right? It's, it, it, the colors change, the characteristics of that rubber band has changed, which if you load it too quickly or too many times, it's mm. going to rupture, right? And that's actually how our connective tissue works, is if we start to get little injury, it gets dehydrated, it's sticky, the composition changes a little bit, that's where you can see plantar fascial ruptures, which is a big part of what I treat in my office is plantar fascial ruptures um, because they're typically incomplete, they're partial, they're frayed, they're disorganized. Mm. And I try to help the individual bring organization to this chaotic connective tissue. Um, but that's, those are the three components. So you could say, okay, if I want a healthy fascial system with age, is I need to make sure it's hydrated, there's no sticky points. Actually, one of the most common causes of sticky points outside of injury and inflammation, or injury-related inflammation, is diet-related inflammation. So having elevated glucose and blood sugar, it can oxidize and it creates stickiness in your connective tissue. It creates kinks. I'll just call it kinks. It's technically crosslinks, but the kinks in the tissue make it less rubber bandy. And then that can lead to little micro tears and then this fraying of the rubber band can kind of start. So that's important. And then you have to create it to train it to be stable. That's the tension response. And then you have to train it to be like a rubber band and elastic. So that's where I would tell everyone of any age that you should be doing ballistics of some nature. You have to train like a little kangaroo or rubber band, right? You have to, you know, a little rabbit moving around. You have to do quick movements with age. Even if you were 90 years old, I'm sorry, you have to be able to do a little <laughs> hop, hop. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I, I come from the, you know, Jane Fonda area, right? Uh, era where, you know, we were learning aerobics and we we're doing all this jumping thing. And then we were taught, oh, that's bad. You know, we shouldn't be doing all this joint loading and jumping and things like that. We should just tell people to walk and do these movements so they're not, you know, uh, hitting their joints with all this jarring and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about how this is, you know, uh, the ballistic stuff is actually important. Yeah, that's so funny that it, it kind of comes in phase and people are like, no, no, and then now it's back in phase, right? So yeah. <laughs> Now we're doing high-intensity training, right? Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. We, we don't have to go to that extreme. But to have a little bit of a bounce. So this could be, and I'm not talking anything dangerous here. <laughs> right? No double axles. Right. Um, if you think, so I'm going to just kind of stand up when I'm doing it and the listeners can kind of do it, but I'm standing up with my feet shoulders apart and then I'm just lifting my heels and lowering them down and I'm slightly bending my knees and I'm just kind of like pumping my heels, right? I'm like bounce, bounce, bounce. I'm lifting my heels and putting them back down, right? That's all that I'm doing. That could be enough. That's training mm. the band, right? Do I have a right, left, right, left, both heels, both heels, right? Uh, step down, step off of a step. That's technically creating a little bit of a ballistic nature, right? Okay. How, how about a cellar sizer, which is a, a safer rebounder? Oh, yeah. Actually, rebounding is amazing, amazing. Mm. Um, any of those rebounders, um, the one that you mentioned I'm not familiar with, but definitely go with what is safe. 
Rebounding would be a great way. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Thank you. Oh, um, my pleasure. <laughs> rebounding. Uh, so the little trampolines for the listeners and you're jumping, you know, one, you can jump up like a kid and get it out of your system. And then you want to rebound the way that you actually rebound, which is kind of pushing down. And every time you push down and you're kind of like flat-footed, almost like thinking of your heels, and you're pushing down, that's getting a really good lymphatic benefit. It's training your fascial tissue. Very, very good. Um, cardiovascularly, awesome. And then... You know, I still think it's good to like jump on it like a kid. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, the the reason I have uh, mentioned the cellar sizer is because uh, the inventor David Hall his his die got injured by buying you know I'll just say Walmart brand <laughs> of rebounder and he uh, you know ended up you know trying to figure out what kind of materials to make it out of. Um, so you know the cellar size is much more expensive than the Walmart rebounder, but the the way it it works is safer and it has like this thing that you can hold onto and for really really. Um, you know, people that are not that coordinated or have been injured, uh, you can hold on to the bars and just do what you're talking about, the ballistics, lifting the heels, lowering them down. So basically, he calls it a baby bounce. So we baby bounce on there. It's so fun, actually. You just feel like a baby, you know, bouncing in the grip. <laughs> yep, I love it. Oh, that's great. That's great. And then when you, okay, so just to review, we have the hydration, right? And then you talked a little bit about the diet, uh, how important that is. So the spiking sugars is not helpful, guys. Um, also, of course, there's injury-related inflammation. And number two is to uh, be able to train the, the fascial, myofascial system in being stable or stable tension. And you mentioned isometrics. Um, and then lastly, training it to be elastic. And now we're talking about this ballistic uh, training. Uh, did I get all that correct? Yes, you did. Yep. Okay. Very cool, very cool. Now, um, you also mentioned the book um, around uh, some supplements. Uh, I wasn't familiar with some of them. Uh, in my own personal experience, what I've noticed is that when the fascia gets really stiff, and I can, I'm, I'm very sensitive, uh, so I can actually feel even when my internal belly fascia gets stiff, uh, or I feel like this, this hamstring thing gets stiff. I know it's fascia. I know it's not the muscle issue. Uh, what's happened for me personally, and many of us, you know, sensitive souls, is that we actually don't have enough minerals. And it's not, in my case, not for lack of diet, but because we're doing whatever you want to call it, um, energy work for the world, and we actually use up a lot of our minerals, uh, including magnesium, which is a, you know, one of the biggest deficiencies mineral-wise. So I've noted that I've had to up my minerals to get my fascia to behave, if you will. Uh, but you also mentioned other supplements in your book, so maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Yes, so anything, when you're thinking about connective tissue health, you are thinking um, two aspects, and I like the mineral one as well, so we'll kind of put that over here, um, is there's the element of inflammation, right? And is the inflammation from diet, I mean, technically stress is inflammatory, so if you want to manage your stress, um, on that, but are the supplements going to be inflammation modulating? We'll say one that is actually not in there because of uh, I've done a personal exploration around certain some supplements around inflammation, and this is post COVID. COVID COVID brought this beautiful insight around inflammation and inflammatory storms and things like mm -hmm. that in relationships. Um, but two that I'm really um, into as of late are systemic enzymes 
and quercetin. And I, I just love both of those, or kind of that category of both of those. Mm-hmm. And they are supporting the body's natural inflammatory cycle, let's say, where sometimes people need to kind of kickstart kick the inflammatory cycle cycle and they just get stuck in one phase where that is where some of these can be really important to kickstart it again and get you moving in the right direction. Um, Other supplements for connective tissue or fascial health would be collagen protective. So vitamin C is collagen protective, um, L-lysine is collagen protective, um, the other ones on the glucose side like L-methylfolate is glucose regulating. So you can kind of go through the different supplements from the different aspects of fascia versus, okay, I'm just going to focus on collagen, but then I'm not doing anything to modulate my inflammation or my minerals, as you had said, right? So we want to make sure that we look full picture at Mm -hmm. everything that influences myofascial health from the collagen to the inflammation to oxidative stress to mineral deficiencies to emotional acidity, which I like to kind of address as well. So um, I would add in anything that is acid neutralizing or positive ion neutralizing, you could say, Mm. into this as well. Okay. So when you say acid neutralizing, is is there a particular supplement that you recommend? Uh, well, so you could either do like hydrogen water. I, I, this is where I would go more towards like PEMF or earthing and actually integrate those into it. Uh, I'm big into light therapy and photobiomodulation as well for connective tissue and just overall health in general. So those are other ways that are not just purely supplemental that I mm-hmm. would recommend. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, I am a big fan of and have been brand partners for the last 17 years for uh, LifeWave phototherapy patches using uh, light to inform the body, sort of like, uh, you know, um, software for the human body to decrease inflammation. Um, And exactly what you're talking about, you know, protecting the collagen because, for example, the glutathione patch in our stem cell enhancing patch actually helps to recycle the the vitamin C and other antioxidants in the body. Um, And it actually works through photobiomodulation. So I'm like, oh my gosh, she's saying the word. (laughs) So, yeah, and that's, I mean, what you're doing is very similar to what I do in my practice, which is that truly holistic approach and saying, okay, it's not just the red light in itself or the photobiomodulation, it's not just the glutathione, it's them all working together mm-hmm. it's part of the bigger picture. And that's, that's where I try to get patients to understand if I inject like Wharton's jelly or PRP, so I'm doing an injectable, but then I'm saying at the same time, I need you to do all these other things synergistically because it's the compilation of all of those that's going to have the greatest effect on the body, mm-hmm. which is what you're saying as well. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely beautiful. And I love that there's all these different options. Uh, I, I know uh, as of you know, the date of this recording that there are some 
emails flying around and social media flying around about the potential risk in the USA about our supplements maybe going away or being overly controlled. Who knows, right, what, what that's going <laughs> to turn out to be. Um, and uh, if that worst case scenario that, you know, something like that happens and, and our supplements are not as easily accessible, at least we have other things. We have, of course, you know, diet and nutrition, of course, uh, although there's some you know, arguments that they're trying to get that to go away too um, um, and have us eat fake food. Uh, but there's also all this light and, and earthing, like, you know, go outside, guys, you know, um, and all these other, uh, you know, really neat technologies coming down the pipeline that can support and help us even if, for whatever reason, we have difficulty uh, getting quality supplements in the future. Yes. I, yeah. I, it's understanding these other other aspects and, like, I'm, I'm big in correct hyperbarics because hyperbarics was actually a large part of my residency training, but hmm. actually proper hyperbarics, um, meaning hard shell hyperbarics are actually accurate um, hmm. versus soft shell ones. If, if people have seen people like texting in a hyperbaric, then clearly that's not because oh. you can have phones and electronics. No, 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 no. Like they will explode, right? So... Um, <laughs> It's making sure you also filter out the quality and the sources, such as like what you're delivering. Um, Dr. Karen is allowing credibility for the listeners on which products because people see, oh, there's a lot of money in photobiomodulation. It's very trendy now to have red light and what's FIR, NIR, like these different things uh -huh. that people may not understand. So then professionals such as yourself or what I try to do for patients is to vet that out and then to educate them on really how it works and why it works and which systems meet those qualifications so that they can get the benefit. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, and before we, uh, before we go, I want to make sure that folks know how to find Naboso, find you, um, and then we'll end with maybe, you know, um, one of your favorite tips uh, that maybe people can you know, maybe start right now to do to keep their feet healthy, maybe even before they get your book. Uh, and, um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about your YouTube channel. So I'll let you share where people can find your information. Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram is the functional foot doc. And I use that primarily for educating uh, educating consumers, professionals, patients. I, my podiatry website is my name. You showed that in the beginning, but dremilysplickle.com. Um, my Naboso, so the full sensory product line is naboso.com, N-A-B-O-S-O.com. Naboso is also on Instagram if you want to follow, um, naboso underscore technology. My YouTube channel, actually have several. So what I tell people to do is, to go to YouTube and then search Dr. Emily Barefoot, and then you will get several hundred videos. I think there's probably like, I don't know, 300 videos now on there. And some of them are educational webinars that I've done. So if you feel like they are speaking like above what you're understanding, some of those are intended for professionals. But I, I encourage you to not shy away from those and still try to pull some beneficial information from them. And then I have many exercise videos and I'm actually launching the beginning of January a new program called uh, Functional Foot, which are at-home self-care programs for various foot conditions mm -hmm. so that people can take their 
foot health and their movement longevity into their own hands by having these programs and they are intended to be six to eight week programs that people can go through to know how to progress the exercises I teach. Um, sometimes it's hard if you just see a video on an exercise and then a video on a foot release and it's like, okay, how do I create this into a program? Mm. So now I'm kind of programming those for individuals. So stay tuned for that. Um, and I think that's everything. Barefoot, Barefoot Strong is on Amazon. It's on the Naboso website or you uh -huh. can go to barefootstrong.com. And actually if you do that, go to barefootstrong.com, there's a foot type quiz. So you could just start there by having an understanding of your foot type. I take you through how to do that and then what it means. And based off of what it means, I give recommendations is, do you need to focus on stability? Do you have to focus on mobility? And where can you start in your foot journey? Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like a great place, a simple place for, for people to start for sure. Thank you for all those. Um, do you have one tip that you want to share with our listeners before we close for today? Yeah, I would say the one tip that I do give people is to release your feet every day. Um, I say five minutes of releasing your feet, morning and evening. You can use a golf ball, a lacrosse ball, or my suggestion would be a narrow ball by Nabo. So <laughs> a ball that splits into two pieces, so you have two domes. So you can very so cool. you release your feet when you brush your teeth. That's kind of my biggest takeaway is can you at least release your feet twice a day when you, when you brush your teeth, even if it's a minute, I don't care. You're just giving a little bit of a TLC reset and awareness and activation, a connection, support circulation to the feet. And consistently doing just that small little thing every day will have a compounding effect uh, on your movement and how you feel. Ooh, that is great. Yeah, actually, when I first got the ball, I was like, oh, this splits into two. I'm one of these like intuitive shoppers. Dr. Emily, I'd be like, oh, that looks good, and I'll hit, you know, add to cart, and then I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing when I'm looking, and it's like, oh, this is cool, let's listen to it, there's this little bowl, and I can use it for my hands, and I can, you know. There's a lot oh. of innovation in there, so I'm glad you figured it out. Yeah, yeah, no, that was great. I was like, well, maybe I should look at the instructions. Um, the funny thing is, it's like just actually a little while before I got the uh, the ball, because it was one of those, you know, add-on things, because I was buying your sale items, stuff like that in the books, um, is that we uh, went to a place, an Ayurvedic place, and they had like a knipe type, you know, uh, pond where you could like walk on these stones of various types, and it was pretty intense. Uh, but I thought, you know, this is really good for you, right? So then we went on Amazon and then bought like this little car with all these stones that are glued on and we actually have it in our bathroom so every time we go to the bathroom we have to walk on it to wash our hands <laughs> love it love it <laughs> yeah yes I thought you'd really like that um, okay so that is fantastic thank you so much Dr. Emily for coming on today I uh, really appreciate your work uh, thank you for doing all that all that I know just how much work goes into you know creating all that content and help people and people that are very you know close to you are very blessed to be able to see you uh, in person as a functional podiatrist so um, it's been such a pleasure thank you so much it was a pleasure as well and I hope the listeners enjoyed I'm absolutely sure they will. So thanks, everyone, for joining in. Until next time, lots of love, everybody. Bye for now.